Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Focus on Albany. I'm Cynthia Pooler, and my guest today is Kevin McFashion from Talk 1300. And Kevin is going to talk about gun violence in the city of Albany. So, you know, it, Kevin, first of all, are you surviving the heat? Yeah. <laughs> well, the heat is... Uh... The heat is always a uh, precursor. The warmer weather, there's always more violence. So you would right. expect to see a spike. In the city of Albany, I think Chief Hawkins was out and had said uh, June was a big spike in uh, the amount, the level of violence and, and shooting, as far as shooting violence goes. And uh, July is normally the worst month. So we are in the middle of July. Uh, the month's not over yet. The numbers on a comparison basis, you know, people every Monday, at least on the right, on the, uh, you know, on the right wing, uh, the, the sort of the Fox News and the uh, right wing websites, they always. Kevin? Yes? I lost you for a minute. Oh, can you hear me now? Yep. So, yep. on the on every Monday, normally on a place like Fox News or any of the right-wing websites, they'll talk about uh, how many people were shot in Chicago this weekend or how many people were shot in New York City this weekend. Right. And so what I did is I started taking those numbers. As you know, I live in Troy, and then Albany has been the really prominent one. And so locally we track numbers on a Facebook page called Capital District Shootings. So these guys are, uh, these guys listen to all this stuff and uh, track it. Well, if you take the uh, number of Chicago shootings, divide it by population of Chicago, 2.7 million, and then multiply it by 100,000. So you get, uh, so you can compare it almost on a per capita basis per 100,000 mm-hmm. residents. With Albany and Troy, Troy has 40,000. Uh, you know, Troy has 50,000 people, so you just take their number and double it, and Albany has about 100,000. Chicago is, uh, as of last week, was 73 per 100,000 residents shot, and Albany was 76 per 100,000. Troy That's is lagging that. a little bit. Yes, so 76 per 100,000. So when you look at it in comparison with Chicago – the gun violence is based on, you know, weighted for the size of the city is exactly equal to Chicago or very close to it. So what and do you so, think, the, Kevin, what do you think the homicide rate, well, maybe not homicide, but gun shoot, guns uh, proliferate in the summertime? Because of the heat, is there other factors? Well, there's always, you know, the the big factor with violence is inequality. Okay. So they have, uh, yeah, they have something called uh, the Gini coefficient, and it has to do with the the inequality, the social science stuff, the the inequality and the crime rate. And really, what it is is if people are universally equally poor, the the crime is low. If they're equally rich, the crime is low. If they have a comparison where somebody is wealthier in proximity to poorer people. And it may, and it may be, you know, it may be skewed by 
media and perception and stuff like that, it tends to be higher. So there's something to be said for uh, trying to find a way to equalize um, income somewhat. Now, that's not the only factor, obviously. That's one factor social scientists could look at. The other factor is uh, obviously we d- we're dealing with a post-COVID lockdown uh, situation, right. which they call, you know, so, so this is, and we're still in the COVID thing, but you had a lack of uh, probation and parole reporting. We have bail reform as well as releases from prison for COVID. So that would be another set of statistics you'd have to look at. Then we also have what they call the Ferguson effect. So the Ferguson effect is, you know, based on the incident in uh, Ferguson where the, the, of the police uh, with Michael Brown, I think his name was, and where mm-hmm. the police turned around and stood down. So you have that in the wake of George Floyd, where anytime there's a massive amount of a focus on police abuse, whether real or perceived, it doesn't matter, they tend to back off. And so they don't do proactive policing. Preventing gun violence in Troy, New York, was accomplished by what was called the Street Crimes Unit. The Street Crimes Unit, back in the 19, uh, well, in the, in the mid-2000s, when they had an active Street Crimes Unit, meaning they would proactively track and trace, and literally, I, it, it, and it was their policy to focus on the 30 or 40 worst people they knew were in Troy and to, and to effectively harass them to get them to either leave the city or get them violated on other things and keep them locked up, you know, literally to harass and confront in a, in a way that is um, constitutionally um, supported. It's called the DeBoer Doctrine, D-E-B-O-U-R. And so the DeBoer Mm -hmm. Doctrine was levels of interrogation. So you can walk up to someone. If somebody's sitting on a stoop, undercover agents mm-hmm. can walk up to them and say, hey, do you live here? They don't have to answer. They don't have to answer. They don't have to say anything. And an officer can't do anything. And so what they would do is, do you live here? What are you doing here? And then they would try to provoke them into a response and to get them upset and to get them agitated in some sense or to have them exhibit suspicious behavior so they could do the de facto stop and frisk. So they would have some sort of probable cause. Well, when, they, when the street crimes unit was run, the Metroland had a cover story on it at the time. Chet Harden did a piece on uh, an officer, Dave Dean, in Albany, who was running the street crimes unit. When he ran the street crimes unit, they had zero shootings in North Central, which is the, the worst of the worst place in Troy. Zero. Zero shootings. They had all the guns off the street. Obviously, they used confidential informants. They, you know, they had, uh, they still, and they always use confidential informants, but they proactively would raid. They would um, go out and they would be what they would call jump out cops. And so when you do proactive policing like that and you go after the guns and you go after who they statistically know who is going to be repeat offenders, people on parole, people on probation, you know, they know who they are in a small city of 50,000 and they would proactively mm-hmm. go after them and it was, and it was effective. Now, when officers who aren't competent or aren't properly trained or just aren't smart or, or, or follow emotions rather than law, and this is right from my experience, you know, talking with these guys, 
they have trouble. The trouble that they had to, to and the reason why they disband the groups is because there will be mistakes or abuses and they result in lawsuits. And so mm-hmm. the political will isn't there if you don't have an administration who supports that to be proactive. And it's, uh, it's really fascinating because we know in the city of Albany they're not doing proactive stuff. And so this is the result. And so, you know, it is nothing's black and white. <laughs> it's not black and white. And I'm, a big, and I'm yeah. a big Bill of Rights guy. And I've been stopped and frisked in Troy. Just, you know, stopped. Oh, wow. I crossed. Yeah, I had, a, I had uh, one night I was going out for a walk, and I'm right next to a really bad section over by Old Sixth Ave. And I was taking a nap. I woke up at 8.30. I walked out my door, and I walked around the block, and all of a sudden I see a blacked-out window, uh, you know, SUV. And I walk up the block, and I see him circle the block again. And I say, well, you know, what's going on? Well, they must have perceived I was in a bad neighborhood, so I must have bought drugs or something. Then I crossed the street, you know, to avoid this guy, and they came right after me. And then the, the pretext was, you know, you crossed against the light. And they, you know, stopped and said, what's going on? And who are you? And I didn't have any ID. And then they just stopped and frisked you. And I laughed at them. Uh, you know, I complied. I laughed at them because I, I would be able to make jokes about it later. But, uh, you know, just you can see how a policy would be like that. Now, is that a Fourth Amendment violation? Yeah, sure it is. You know, they don't have a right to stop and search mm-hmm. it. But did they, do they have the pretext when you, when you jaywalk? That's exactly what they did. You know, were they profiling me? Yeah, I'm a white guy, but I was in a bad neighborhood. So the, the will is, you know, so somebody like me who that happened to, you know, would I go out and sue or make noise? You know, now, if I'm a black man in the same neighborhood and it happens all the time, yeah, you would say, hey, where's Alice Green? And this isn't right because we're getting harassed. <laughs> but the flip side is, is, You know, are police responding to neighborhoods where the people are calling them? Well, you know, so it's it's such a tricky issue. And uh, I think in the city of Albany, you know, so it's a combination. We'll see how the end of July winds up. Now, the other thing is, is, you know, people with bail reform, with bail reform, we saw the young young fellow who was out. He was um, in the city of Albany. I think it was Terrell Howard. Or, yeah, maybe that was it. And so he was uh, arrested and convicted of um, of the shooting that hit the three year old toddler in the South End. Right. It went through the wind. It went through the wall of a daycare and hit a child when the child was sleeping. Obviously, the child wasn't the intended target. Right. You remember mm-hmm. the story? So that fellow was uh, he was sent. You can you hear me. OK. Yes. Okay, so that sentence was, yes, that that conviction was in February or March. Due to the bail reform, the young fellow was, uh, you know, and he was 16, I think. He was due back for sentencing on April 14th, and he was out. I don't know if he was out with an ankle bracelet or if he was just out and out because of the new bail reform. And so he did not show up. He absconded for the April 14th sentencing. Well, needless to say, by July, he has uh, one uh, shooting incident uh, with reckless endangerment that they, you know, by the time they pick him back up, 
He's got one homicide, two attempted murders, and um, one uh, actual homicide, the homicide that happened in front of the Board of Elections at 1 o'clock in the afternoon that day, during a weekday. And then two attempted murders because two people got hit. So that's, that one fellow was involved in a minimum of three of the shootings. So, you know, when it, that, you take somebody off the street like that, it, they, the, the shootings tend to go down. So the, the, the very cold and dead level philosophy of, uh, that was effective in Troy, stop shooting, was know who the, the bad characters are likely to be and keep them locked up as long as possible for any reason. So, so this is on the Madden's watch, correct? No, Madden's not doing this. There, there's no will to do this anymore. This was this was under Republican Mayor Harry Tutungin. Oh, okay. So, so there's no political will for that. So you have blood in the streets. You know. Now, if you want to say, okay, well, how do we keep? How do we prevent the shootings before it gets to this level and it goes back to families? And I don't care if they're. What, what kind of family they are. But there's got to be tight families, uh, some sort of a either father or adult presence. You know, I don't care if it's my two mommies or my two daddies. It doesn't matter. It's got to ethically proven that single-parent children are worse off in life, more apt to crime, and it's just a fact. It's just a fact. Uh, you know, and any, any social scientist who's honest will tell you. And so when you look at the stats, that's the way it is. And if there's no structure and no family, the kid has no hope. And so, you know, it's tough. I mean, my, my co-host there, my newsman, Daryl, uh, you know, he, he came from a single family home and he was kind of an exception, but he also went to a really strict um, religious school, you know, but his mom was single mom and the father was in jail. And, and, and so his uh, background was he would have been, you know, set up for failure. But you have to have some sort of order and discipline as much as people hate that. And so if they're not going to support proactive policing or the police are going to fall back, I mean, the word on the street is the cops are, are, are no, don't do anything. Just don't go do anything. Wait for the calls. And so if they're not going to have proactive policing, they're just going to wait for the calls. Obviously, there's, there's guns everywhere. And, and as a young man, I would want a gun if I feel powerless. You know, I, feel pow- I don't have a father. I don't have a family that's responsible. I don't have any direction. Now we don't even have school. I don't have right. school. I, 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 I'm inundated with a culture that's money, money, money. You know, these guys aren't out writing poetry. I mean, maybe they're writing raps, but they, you know, they're, or, they're, or they're, you know, aspiring to uh, something that's a gangster culture. Remember, it, it was uh, the year... 19, I always play the old rap songs, and the one uh, uh, NWA song, which is F the Police, right? That mm-hmm. song was 1998. So that culture of having that repeated over and over, which is a very catchy tune, and I, you know, we even play it on the radio. Yeah, that mm-hmm. culture has existed for, for 20 years. That's almost one, two generations. Uh, and it's going right. on longer. I mean, you, you know the 1960s and, and the issues. And there were real issues. And there still are real issues of racism. It's never mm-hmm. going away. You can be anti. You can, you can have as much implicit bias training as you want, but you still have implicit bias. 
So that's not a panacea. That's just a way for consultants to make cash. You know, it has to do with the, the fundamental culture of if you want less policing, people have to be under control by some other means, whether they believe in the religion or not. Either, you know, so yeah. you're only going to be as free as people are moral. And if there's not morality and they're not going to know that stealing is wrong and fighting is wrong and killing is wrong, then you're, you're toast. And, and the human brain, they've shown, doesn't even form that morality until maybe 25, 26. So a cold, hard statistician would say, well, if kids are uh, trouble at age 16, like the, um, oh, the sneaker thief there. Um, the kid who they said raised the age on. That the recidivism rate is so yeah, that the recidivism rate is correct. What's that? He was in Rikers, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, there's some abuses as far as that goes, uh, you know, waiting for trial and stuff like that. You know, I, I, it's hard to say. You know, the, the correctional system came out of reforms in the, uh, 19, in the 19th century of progressive reformers who were utilitarians. I mean, you look at Jeremy Bentham and John Stuart Mill. You know, they've turned it into houses of correction and created the prison system. And, yeah, mm-hmm. now, sure, of course, it's exploited by corporations or unions or whatever. You know, obviously, there's no private prisons in, in New York State, but there are private vendors. So it all comes down to if, if you're going to have a society with law, how much law do you have, how strong is the law, and how, and how enforced is the law. And really, the purpose of government should just be to um, – protect life, liberty, and property, they should leave you alone until your, your actions affect somebody else, you know. So for me, as a, as a sort of right-wing libertarian, I would say if they're, if they're decriminalizing things like drugs, you know, they should all be at least decriminalized. Um, what, let's decriminalize all the guns, too, because these kids get picked up around in on weapons charges. So why isn't that standard applied? They can eliminate all that, you know, and, and why, why do gun owners have to have, you know, why, why is any of that criminalized? It, it falls disproportionately on people of color too, you know, so it's, everything's all over the place. You know, it's a tricky time, but as far as getting the, uh, getting gun violence down in Albany, they had a spike a few years ago. My guess would be it won't stop until the people that want to shoot each other stop shooting each other. And you know, because there's no, Kathy, there's, there's no will to do anything proactive. So Kathy, you know. she and she's not doing a good job. Am I correct in, in that assumption? No, no. You know they're focused on statues and garbage like that. They get, they should be focused on getting people off the street. I mean, how many jobs has that woman created in the city of Albany? What what have they attracted that gives somebody hope or a future? What have they attracted? I don't see any. Uh, you know, there's no big uh, Apple plant in here. You know, there's chip fab. They do the chip fab stuff, but that's for people who are educated. And a lot of those are HB1 visa immigrants over there. You know, I know plenty of people from Germany and Poland and France who are working over there. You know, they need baseline factory stuff. And that was something where even the Bernie Sanders people, at one point Bernie Sanders and those guys said, hey, we got to protect American workers. And, and so the, the point would be, have good union jobs, but also have protectionism. 
you know, and you're, and that's essentially what the Donald Trump America First thing is. Even with the revised NAFTA agreement, it protects unions. It says to Mexico, hey, you have to unionize. Not we lower our labor standards. You have to raise your labor standards. You know, we'll see how it plays out in, in reality. But you have mm-hmm. to have manufacturing jobs for people. People have to have a sense of, of uh, work and purpose. Otherwise, they're aimless. And so, so then they see the somebody making money or doing something better, and then they just steal it. That's the inequality. And it doesn't matter if they can't steal from Loudonville. It puts it in their head to steal from their neighbor. They're poor. They're equally poor neighbor. You know. So if you think. Go ahead. Do you think the same thing is going on uh, under Madden and Troy and McCarthy and Schenectady? Well, I think, you know, Schenectady, something's going on with Schenectady where their shootings are lower. And Madden's mm-hmm. shootings are, if, if, if Albany's at 76 per 100,000, and listen, a lot of the instigators are from Troy. Uh, the per 100,000 rate in Troy is about, uh, is about 43, is about half of Albany's for now, for now. Mm-hmm. But they do, they do have a more aggressive street crimes unit that they had in Troy. It's not to the level of, of the real aggressive guys, but at the same time, we also have the Rensselaer County Sheriff. So Steve McLaughlin intervenes in the city of Troy quite a bit. I'm not sure how much they actually work with um, Troy Police Department because agencies tend to get jealous, but we have a lot of sheriff's department raids in the city of Troy. And they'll work with federal agencies on their own and just say, hey, we're coming in to clean up your city. So that may be helping, but you really need – a baseline street. And you never know, there could be differences in probation departments, differences in parole. Um, it's, it's everything. It's not one thing, but there's got to be an attitude. If the attitude I hear from the Albany police department is that they're demoralized, that uh, they just feel like they're not supported. They're not going to police. They're just going to sit around, you know? And so then the question is, well, that's not bad, right? Because you don't want them aggressively doing things or, or don't pursue the weed or don't pursue the, the, the drugs. You know, we, we have a culture that doesn't agree on everything either. So, you know, hey, did I like it during the pandemic when I could drive really fast because I knew there were no cops around to give speeding tickets? Yeah, I did. Is that help? Is that good? Because statistically, when people speed, they kill more people. But did I like mm-hmm. being able to do, you know, go super fast from, from the radio station to my house because there's zero people on the road? Yeah, I really liked it. You know, so my rights really end at your nose. You know what I mean? I can swing my right. as much as I want around myself as long as I don't hit you. That's good. Right. So there could be a lot, of, a lot of good that comes out of this. You know, so if the, if the interaction is, you know, can you have speeding cameras or red light cameras in lieu of, traffic stops yeah i guess you can Mm -hmm. you know so it's all a big experiment you know there's nobody nobody's ever written this book before you know what i mean and so it's it's you kind of tolerate but i think overall homicides are down in america i think there there really the the there there has been some sort of a revolution in policing i don't know a lot of it came in under that joe biden crime bill you know biden the 1994 crime bill i think it was under clinton and, um, you know, but we do have a lot of incarcerated people, and it's not really – it doesn't really work. I think it works. I don't think it's a good system, 
but I'm not quite sure what the alternative is, especially if people don't have a common morality based on a religion, a common religion or anything like that. And they don't believe it. So even uh, Friedrich Nietzsche said, you know, God is dead. And then the flip side of the God is dead comment is you and I have killed him. And the consequence will be blood and blood and blood and blood. You know, it'll be endless, endless violence. So, you know, it's, uh, it's a mixed bag and it's a dangerous world out there. You know, is Kathy Sheehan doing a good job? Well, if, the, if her numbers are as bad as Chicago, that, that says it all. You know, when Schenectady's are lower than Troy's and Troy's are lower than and Albany's, it could just be for a season. You know, remember we had 15 or 18 homicides two or three years ago in Albany, and then it dropped right off to zero, almost zero. Mm-hmm. Troy had zero last year. So it could be people are back out or it's a new crop of kids. It's just that you'd really have to dig into the data. But, uh, but definitely everybody is seeing a spike because of the George Floyd thing, because police aren't out being proactive. And people are probably Looney Tunes from COVID-19 and schools being closed, remember, because the city of Albany still only has a 60%, 62%, 65% graduation rate. Can you imagine you don't graduate from high school? What do you do with your life? Right, exactly. What alter what exactly. alternative is there? Right. You know? What do you what do you do all day? And now you don't have the retail and, open, you don't have you don't have small stores open, you know? So where's those where are those jobs? Right. You know, how how what hope do you have? What hope do you have? And then you just have obviously a culture uh of a city. You know, this isn't happening in suburbia. It's happening in, in an urban area. Maybe, you know, some of it has to do with the life in urban areas with the proximity to each other and, and you're around a lot more humans, so you tend to be more agitated, you know. Would you say it's the same all over the country? Oh, I would guess you're, you're seeing the same trends. Like I said, they called it the Ferguson effect. The same exact thing happened in 2016. And in fact, you know, the interesting thing from a perspective of, uh, of uh, you know, whether it's an anti-Trump thing with the Black Lives Matter movement is the last time they peaked was 2016, right before his election. So some on the right say, you know, this thing is being hyped up by the media because they want to get rid of Trump. Because the last time you saw it, the Ferguson effect and all this other stuff was in 2016, right before the election. Then if you do Google searches of Black Lives Matter, they drop off the map after 20, 2016 into 2017. So what, what none, none of these issues existed in 2017, 18, 19, and now it's just 2020? No, no, no. Something else is going on. You know, I mean, or it's being hyped up or just the, the George Floyd thing was so egregious, but it's, but it's spread everywhere. How do you go from George Floyd to, to ripping down Philip Schuyler's statue? <laughs> right. What does that what does that make sense? That doesn't make sense. So Kevin, you know, our so. time is up for today. I hope that was helpful. Give, give yourself a little plug. Sure. So I host a show called Road Rage and it's on three to six, uh, right up the dial at ninety eight seven FM and thirteen hundred AM and then I you can listen live online at uh, talk thirteen hundred dot com. So you've been listening to Kevin McCashin. I'm Cynthia Pooler. This is Focus on Albany. If you like this show, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. 
Thanks, Kevin. Thank you, everybody. Have a great day.